Whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. That's it? Hello! Wake up! Okay, so we're starting a new series. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be related to the work that you do, uh, as uh, we heard on the Colossians thing. And uh, so one of the things we thought would be fun, Life Day is a big, important uh, uh, celebration we have at JFC, and that's coming up quickly. And we have a lot of sponsors, and they do a wonderful job of providing the resources we need to make it happen. But the proceeds of that sponsorship goes toward our youth missions and ministry. And uh, so we really encourage sponsorship. So we thought it'd be fun during this series to uh, take a drawing and pull some names of some folks that are actually sponsoring. And so today we celebrate Experience Pros, Angel and Eric. They have a great ministry. They're on the radio. They help businesses. And so we want to just recognize and honor them today. Now, we'll have one that we have already for next week. But the following two weeks after that, the last two weeks, if you'd like to be in our new sponsorship, we're going to draw names and you might be uh, getting your 15 seconds of fame. But to do that, uh, go to the website, scroll down under events to Life Day. When you click on that, there's sponsors uh, on the right-hand corner of that. Do that. We really appreciate any sponsorship we have. It's just a fun way to honor you and meet the need that we have before us. So, well, two years ago, the message I gave today, I don't think I could have given. And the reason is, is there's a lot of things that have changed in my thinking in that time that are very important. Uh, years ago, we started a business group, a business network, and we wanted to help our church businesses. So we created a network on the uh, a website where if you needed a, a certain trade or something, you could go there. But we also helped our business folks, and we met once a month, and we talked about best practices, networking, all those great things. And those were really good. But... This last year, the Lord really began to shift the focus to that. And that focus is what a lot of this message is going to be about today. There is a spiritual movement taking place in work across our uh, world today. And I want to talk to you a little about that. It is literally changing businesses. It's changing cities. It's changing nations. And uh, you can't hear all of that today, and you're probably relieved, but I'll share a little of that. How's that sound? So our scripture is work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So years ago, there was a country western song. Some of you might remember it. Take this job and what? Okay, I can't say that word because I'm a pastor, but you can. No, I'm kidding you. So uh, I want you to do something. Get your pens out. This is interactive. Uh, I need you to all wake up and, 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 and follow along with this. How would you respond to that? Put that in the blank there. Take your job and what would you write there? Shove it, love it, leave it, lose it, whatever. Take a minute and do that. Now, I did some research for this message. I wanted to look at the issues that people face with work. Gallup did a poll, and these were the top three complaints people had about their job. The first one was pretty evident. I hate my job. <laughs> Anybody here ever hate your job? We were hoping no GFC staff raised their hand on that one. The second was, I don't know what my boss wants. Ever have a situation like that? And the last was, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> What's my job? 
and it happens all the time. I was looking at that and I thought, okay, there's some more extensive studies and they actually correlated with my job experience. So I want to share a little of those. The first one is this, overworked, underpaid. You ever feel that at your job? Overworked, underpaid? Are you all out there? I don't, I don't hear anybody. You can say yes, it's okay. All right. My first job, I identified with that feeling. I was 13, I was hired. My Aunt Carol asked me to babysit her three rambunctious boys. So here's the pay. I said, Terry, hey, we're going to go out late. We're going to have dinner. Here's what I'd like you to do. Babysit our three boys. And so her husband, Jim, worked for Pepsi-Cola. And back then in the day, they had Pepsi in cases, and it was in bottles. And they had, in his garage, stacked eight high of Pepsi. And she said, here's your pay. All the Pepsi you can drink, all the snacks you can eat, and you can just watch TV. 13-year-old boy, I'm thinking, this is, man, this is a payday. So I went over there, all right, and I did not know what three rambunctious boys could do to my dream job. <clears throat> so I'm drinking Pepsis. They're just being a pain. So finally, it was bedtime. All right, I put them in bed. I'm trying to watch TV, you know, and back then, y'all remember how TV used to be? There were three channels, four, seven, and nine here, all right? I used to be the remote my dad would say, go turn it to channel seven. That's as far as it got. So I'm excited. I get to watch my own TV programs. I don't have my dad telling me what to watch. All right. And these kids just kept being a pain. And I'm telling you, I can't enjoy my snacks. I can't enjoy my Pepsi. I can't watch TV. So I solved the solution being the creative uh, job solver that I was. I tied them to their bed. I really did. I thought that would solve it. I go back in to drink my fifth Pepsi and my eighth bag of chips or whatever it was, and they're just whining and crying and griping and just giving me all sorts of fit. I'm telling you, it was a worse night, overworked, underpaid. If I had duct tape, I would have solved that. So after that, I figured uh, I didn't have a career in babysitting, and I went on my next job, and it was the job that had unmet expectations. Your hopes were crushed. It was being a caddy at a golf course. And I had this job where I'd ride my bike down to this early morning, ride it to a golf course in Lakewood. And I was the new guy and the youngest guy. And so if you know anything about golf courses, especially those that have caddies, many of the golfers already have a favorite preferred caddy. And so they would get the first prime jobs and they would get, and I'd be sitting in this caddy shack, just waiting, 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 bored to death. And so all I would get, all right, and I was just promised that this job is going to be awesome. You get $10 to carry a golf bag. And then if you're lucky, they'll give you a tip. And some of them will even buy you a hot dog or a Pepsi Cola. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to rake in the money. I'm going to have snacks. And there's a snack theme here going in there. Anyway, and so I'm just sitting in a caddy shack all day. And the only people you get when you're the newest and the youngest is the people that none of the other caddies want to caddy for. They were the cheapest, meanest, honorist kind of people. And I would always get the guy that had 400 golf clubs in a bag. It's like dragging a pickup truck around a golf course. He would never tip you, and he'd never buy you a hot dog. And I didn't enjoy that job. It wasn't what it was promised to be. And then I had this, and you've probably had this, worst boss ever. Can I see the show of hands? Anybody had a bad boss? Isn't that a nightmare? Isn't that difficult? After I graduated from high school, I wanted to raise money for college. 
And I got a job, and I still don't know how I got it, working at an egg factory. A literal egg, not chickens, nothing like that. You would take the wholesale eggs, you would crate them, date them, inspect them, all that kind of stuff. And they had this huge, giant cooler, and then they had this little room where all these eggs, you know, would fly by on a machine. But the boss there was the most wretched, angry, hateful, foul-mouthed guy I've ever seen in my life to this day. Every other word were really bad words, and I never heard those words growing up in my home. And it was a shocking thing. I just, whoa, whoa that was a bad word. And before I could get that thought out of mind, he said five more. And all day I'm going through this guy just hating me, telling me this, doing that. And it was a horrible experience. And I thought, man, I got to get done with this job and get off to college. So we've all had the worst boss. Had a stressful job. Anybody here ever have a stressful job? Some of you guys maybe in, in situations that are life-threatening or, or uh, threatening to somebody's life. Uh, my most stressful job was working at 7-Eleven. <laughs> you remember the theme years ago, oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven? That was not my story. I'm this suburban kid from Lakewood, plunked down in the middle of Federal and Alameda, all right, during the graveyard shift. I'd never seen guns before. I'd never seen knives before. I'd never seen prostitutes. I'd never seen drug dealers. I'd never seen crazy people. I'd never seen robbery. Oh, thank heaven, no way for 7-Eleven. It was a really scary experience. And after several months of that, of fearing and literally being in life-threatening situations, I said, I can't do this job. I just can't do this job. But my next job really was cool. All right, my dad back then worked in the car business. In the car business, when you ordered cars back then, they didn't have radios, maybe an AM radio. And the big new thing there was putting in a nice stereo cassette radio, four speakers and all that. So I got a job working in a place that we could put in car stereos. I really loved that job. It was fun to do that, learned a lot, had a great working crew there. We all liked each other, hung around. Uh, a lot of young guys my age. We had a boss who was about my age. He was the supervisor. His name was Pat. Pat was a good guy. He was no nonsense, but he was a good guy. All right, and we had an amazing time there putting in car stairs. I felt like for the first time, all these things I talked about, that I was a part of a great team, had a great boss. And if you've experienced that, you know what a wonderful feeling that is. The neatest thing about Pat is over the years, we became friends. And when I went off into ministry, Pat was very encouraging. He was not a believer. Pat would just come alongside. So every time I'd come back to Denver to visit, I'd go have lunch with Pat. Pat now has been very kind and supportive. He actually is one of our golf sponsors, does a lot of things. We meet regularly. He's got a great business here and have actually started several businesses. Good guy. Those are the kind of relationships that we value, that you have that kind of connection with people that are long-term. It's just not some boss you got to get through and live through or some relationships at your work that you got to get through. So here's what it means, okay? In the beginning, God started this whole work thing. You know that God worked? Everybody knows that? God worked. I will tell you, it's a good thing God is God because if I was God, I wouldn't be working. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. I'm sitting on a beach drinking pina coladas, enjoying the waves, whatever. I don't want to work. But somehow in the mind of God, he thought work was a good thing. So scripture talks about his work, him being a part of the creation process. And then the Bible talks about 
him resting. That's in Genesis 2, and it's on your notes there. I won't read it. All right? But then, not only did God like work, he thought when he created man, work would be a good idea for man. So Scripture tells us that he took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So in the image of God and the understanding of the value of what work means, God established that in man. <coughs> so the first thing that God gave Adam was work. So look at this order. Creation, creating man, creating work. Now, I don't know what this means theologically. I'm not going to touch this. But I just had this thought. I've heard this hierarchy of priorities for a long time. You've heard it too. God, family, work. But before God even gave him a wife, he gave him work. I don't know what that means. I'm just throwing it out there, let you think about it theologically. I don't know if it has any implications, but I thought it was interesting. So the work then that God gave Adam, we talked about in uh, Genesis 2, of naming the animals, and it talks about the process of choosing a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, birds, all the wild animals, and, and here's then where I'm going to come back full circle with that mate thing. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So I don't know. Genesis is filled with great theology. And I don't know if, if this was established for Adam to realize, hey, look at all those other animals. Man, they got animals like them to hang out with. I don't have anything. I don't know what's that created the loneliness. But imagine your first day on the job. Imagine this. All right. And imagine if God's your boss. Anybody here want to make a good impression? I'm sure, I'm sure I would. First day, here's the enthusiasm. Here's the creativity. Adam starts his job naming the animals. Hey, that big thing over there, that looks like, uh, hmm, I'll call that a hippopotamus. And there's this thing over there that kind of looks like it, but it has a horn on its head. I think I'll call that a rhinoceros. And this little thing here with all the, I think I'll call that a porcupine. And throughout the week, it goes naming all creation. And I'm telling you, for all of us, this would be the reality. By the end of the week, here's how it goes. Fish, dog, cat, done. Right? Our jobs have this enthusiasm, creativity, but they all just eventually get old. So in this process, there's three things here that I want you to see. In all of our work, these three things are at work in some form or fashion. All right? This is in God's work and the work he gave Adam. We create or plant. In every one of your jobs, that's at work. Some part of your job has planting, creating. The next is care, maintain. Some jobs are primarily that, that you just maintain, all right, or care for something. And the last is harvest or reap fruit. There's a benefit from the work you do. It's not just financially, but that is a good benefit. Anybody here like their paychecks? You don't? I give an amen for paychecks, right? So we see this typically from an earthly perspective. In our jobs, create, plant, care, maintain, harvest, reap fruit. What if God intended that to not only be on an earthly plane, but a spiritual plane? What if God intended for us to be a part of our work as it relates to spiritual dynamic as well? <coughs> Excuse me. What if in your work, spiritually, there was an opportunity to create or plant or to care or maintain or to harvest or reap fruit? I want to come back to this. We are made in the image of God. Work was important to God. It's God who gave us work. He gave earthly work, but there's a spiritual component. All of work to God is sacred. So let me explain sacred. Sacred is this. Worthy of spiritual respect or devotion. 
You ever consider your job that way? Come on, let's be honest. How many on Monday morning are like, oh, God, got to get to work. Got to go through the traffic, which we know is getting worse and worse. And Got to get to work. Got to deal with that client. Got to deal with that person. You know, we don't have that feeling, but what if it was different? What if we were just really understood that, hey, my work is spiritual devotion, spiritual respect. Interestingly enough, the Latin word vocar means to call. It is the root of our common word today, vocation. Today, the word simply means a job. <coughs> but the original sense was your work is a calling, a sacred calling. Now, Pastor Dan mentioned a few years ago, or a few weeks ago on a message when he worked with me years ago uh, uh, in South Carolina. He talked about how faith led him to coming here to help Pastor John. When John, uh, Dan left, he had raised up couple uh, youth leaders. One was my son. One was my nephew. They had been a part of the youth ministry. They were really good. They were fun. They were great with youth. They were torturing Dan and Kim all the time. Somehow they got a key to Dan's house. And so uh, they would do tricks on Dan and Kim. I felt sorry for Kim. I didn't feel sorry for Dan. Anyway, now he's uh, the executive pastor over me. So I hate what my kids did to him. I'm sorry, Dan, what my kids did. They would come in. They would take like one of every one of their shoes. They would just leave one of each shoe without them knowing. They get ready for going somewhere and Dan puts on a shoe and, hey, Kim, have you seen the other shoe? No, Dan, Dad, where's the other? And, and they'd do stuff like that all the time. So I knew they'd be good youth pastors. So they're working both in the ministry and the church, okay? Josh was working a part-time job, and the more he got into the job, there was something shifting in his heart. And I see, I didn't always get this then, but he said, Dad, I know you're a pastor. I know you value ministry. You've been that all your life. But he said, Dad, I, I love working with our youth, but I feel like God has drawn me toward a marketplace kind of ministry. I said, well, what does that look like? He said, well, I just want to be, be a representative of Christ in the business world. And I said, oh, that's, that's good. In my mind, I just couldn't put it together. Josh, or Jake, on the other hand, came and said, hey, I want to move toward full-time ministry. My calling is to work in the church. So they went those ways. And my son and jo Jake have been very successful in representing Christ in what they've done in ministry and marketplace. Now, here's the question. Is one more important to God? No. Not at all. Not at all. See, they each have a specific role that is different. And if God has equipped you with gifts and skills and you're in a marketplace, you're in a workforce, those are the things that you can represent God equally to any pastor representing his work in the church. No matter what you do in your job, God sees it as important and worthy of devotion. It's not, and here's the reality, it's not about what you do. I don't know what your jobs are. Some of you I do because I know you, but many of you I don't. And it doesn't matter what you do. Here's what matters. Why you do it and how you do it. Because that's going to be what represents Jesus. All right. So we're called to a sacred work, but the reality is, even in church, how many would say work's a pain sometimes? Work's a difficulty. Work, 
You know, there's a reason we look forward to days off and vacation, because sometimes work's just a drag. Well, it came as a result of the fall. It came because sin came, disobedience came, and that brought the curse. Let me read that. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, <coughs> excuse me, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So here's what he says. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and for dust you will return. Every one of us here, no matter what our work is, whether it's in a ministry capacity or a marketplace or workplace, has stuff. And it's the things that we really wrestle with. It's the things we don't enjoy. And it's because of disobedience and sin that all of us in our workplace have thorns. How many know that thorn is a person? <laughs> How many are sitting close to that? Per- no, don't answer that. Thistles, toil. Even in ministry, there's just toil. Sometimes just hard work. Sometimes it is sweat of the brow. And it is what came as a result of that. So what do we do with that? Are we stuck with that the rest of our life? Well, really, we're not stuck, all right, because God brings redemption to us in the form of salvation. He brings it to us in the form of redemption in our work. So let me give you my definition for redemption. A new purpose and something that will bring glory to God. So what if in the middle of your toil and sweat of the brow, I could tell you today that God wants to give you, because of him, because of what he does, a new purpose in your job and something that would bring glory to God. Would anybody here be interested in that? Yes. All right, so let me share that. I was talking earlier with someone uh, after the message, and they said, Terry, look, everything you said is good. But I said, we really need to know how. We, just, we know we want to do this, but we need to know how. And so in this, I want to share a few things that will show you how. Now, we meet on a regular basis with our business group. It's third Tuesday of every month, 6 to 7. I think there's a flyer out somewhere, business director. You can get that. We continue to meet. And like I said, it's changed. It's changed in the focus. It's changed in exactly doing what my friend asked us to do. Help us, equip us, show us how to be this in our marketplace, in our workplace. But there's some very simple principles I want to give to you that are very important. In Luke 10, Jesus is talking about sending out workers, workers, all right? And let me tell you the outcome first, and then I'll tell you what he sent them out with and what to do. The outcome was this. The outcome, they came back with great joy and excitement of being a part of what God is doing. They came back so happy to be a part of what God was doing and excited and ready. And they said, you wouldn't believe this, Jesus. Even the demons were destroyed by the ministry and the work that we did. And Jesus said, I know, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Pretty amazing what happens in that spiritual realm in the work that you have every day. This is what took place. So there's a benefit to you walking with what God wants you to do in your business and in your workplace. So here are the four principles that Jesus gave. These are the things that every day, every week, every month, you can bring to your workplace. Now, I'm going to share some actual stories of people here at JFC. 
I could use these principles for every one of them through everything that they do. But I'm going to try to simplify it, and I can't do them justice. I'm going to tell you, I'm trying to do this in a short amount of time, and I, can't, I, I just can't cover it all. But here's what I'm saying. The first that Jesus said in the principles of ministry in the workplace was bring peace. Bring peace. I hardly watch news anymore. I'm so tired of the fracture, the frustration, the divisions, all that's going on in our world. And it's in people's lives, in your workplace. Broken families, broken marriages, financial disasters, all sorts of things that people are dealing with. How many know that if you brought to your workplace just this sense of peace, how amazing that would be? We're to bring peace. I met a lady years ago on our Israel trip by the name of Jana. We became friends. She was a part of a discipleship group that I lead. And so because of that, I found out her story. Jana has a hair salon on Broadway. She's a hair stylist. And so every day as she works on people's hair, and, and many of you folks who go know that you just talk, and every day the stories of lives they share. And she's had some clients for 30 years, so she knows their story. But in their story, they talk about their hurts and their problems. And you know what Jana does every day? She just shares love. And there's this sense of bringing peace and encouragement and strength to each of their lives. That's what Jana brings, all right? The second thing that Jesus gave as a principle, I'm going to give you what the Scripture says, but then I'm going to tell you what it means. The Scripture says to go eat and drink together with people in their homes. I'm liking that one. I could do that one. But the meaning for a Jewish person at this time was that that denoted this idea of building relationships. When you had this spirit and openness in that time of hospitality, it didn't mean just some fast food, hey, go eat, good to see you. It meant sitting down and getting to know and building relationship with people. So in essence, what Jesus said is go build relationships with people. Develop friendships. Sometimes the person that needs your friendship most at your workplace is the person you least likely want to give it to. Imagine that person getting an invitation from you for lunch. Hey, so-and-so, let's go to lunch today. I'd like to get to know you. They'd be shocked. They may be the most difficult or the most hurting or whatever, but this idea of building relationships is important. Now, James... Uh, I know his folks are here in this service. He was in the last service. James, uh, their family, we've been friends for years. James was in my youth group many, many years ago. I won't tell you how many, but it was a long time ago. James has been a part of this movement in our church of what I'm talking about today. James uh, worked with his father, had taken over the business there, worked with him in that area, and had a very successful business and like I said, all, all the toil, the sweat, all that was a part of it. All sorts of issues with the business owners today. You guys know what I'm talking about. But God began to change his life when he went to Peru. His wife went to Peru and just was touched by the ministry that we have there. And Larry and all, some of you may remember Larry. And so uh, she brought James back. We happened to go on that trip with him. And I remember James just filling up with tears for the plight of these orphans. 
And God began to change his heart. And that heart change led to many changes in his life. James began to rally other business people with resources. They began to pull money together and build houses there in Peru. They helped the orphanage. They do a lot of things there. But God wasn't finished because James, look at these people need that. But you know what? Where you live, there's need too. And he began to change the model of his business. And he began to realize that the Lord has put in his lap, in his business workplace, a great ministry opportunity. James hired a bunch of He's got a huge number of staff. He has a, a, a company that employs a lot of manual labor. And so he had a lot of refugees, people from all over the world working for him. And it was frustrating. But when the Lord got a hold of his heart, we began to see these aren't just people that get a job done for me that create a thing. Everything changed for him. And when he sold out to what God had planned for his business, everything in his business changed. He had clients that were very high-dollar clients that would treat his refugees, his staff, really bad. And the Lord spoke to James and said, James, you can't let people do that. And he went to these businesses. He said, hey, guys, with all due respect, these are people. You can't treat them this way. And he knew well in saying that he might lose some clients. And out of the three people he approached, two of them said, hey, forget you. We'll find another company. We'll treat people the way we want to treat them. Broke his heart. Broke his bank account, big clients, big accounts. One person said, James, you know, you're right. We shouldn't be treating. And they changed the way they treated his employees. You know what God did? God replaced those goofball, hateful people with better, more generous clients than he had before. All in the hands of God. When you trust God, when you follow God, when you obey God, I'm promising you, it'll be a difficult journey, but he'll be there for you. So this meal part, James started fixing food for these. He had an idea. Hey, I want my client or my, uh, my workforce to know what I believe. Last year, <coughs> he said, on Good Friday, here's what I want to do. I'm going to fix a great feast for all my workers. I'm going to shut the uh, store down at, at noon, and we're going to have lunch, and they can invite all their family, and we're going to feed them food. And after that, they can go. But if they want to stay, I want to invite them to hear what Easter is and what it means to me. He brought in and paid for four chaplains that spoke the languages of these groups. And they had an Easter service at his workplace. And they heard the gospel message the first time. People from Muslim countries, Buddhist countries, all sorts of beliefs. They heard the gospel message of what Jesus really means. This year, I happened to be Friday night, last a week ago, at a restaurant uh, James and his family came in. They had just got done with their uh, Easter thing, and James was just beaming. And he came up and said, hey, Terry, we did our Good Friday feast today. He said, let me tell you the neatest thing. He said, six of those people said, I get it. I get what Jesus did. I want to follow Jesus. Six of his employees made a commitment to follow Jesus. Now, it wasn't mandatory. Nobody was forced. It was an opportunity. It was provided all right, And I guarantee you the enemy's going to try to muddle you that waters. But you know what? Seeing the joy in James' heart and what he did of just fixing food and sharing the gospel and how amazing. Man, I could spend a lot of time, but I got to move on. The third thing that Jesus said was meet needs. There's healing and brokenness that we can meet needs with. There's a great guy in our church by the name of Neil. Neil 
was a child of immigrants from uh, the uh, Central America. I think it was El Salvador. He came. He was raised in South Central L.A. Fearful of gangs and gang activity, he got involved with soccer. And he was able to live a life separate from some of the crime and the gang troubles in the neighborhoods by playing soccer. So fast forward many years, and the Lord put on Neil's heart here in the Denver area to provide soccer clubs and to help people, kids, immigrants, poor people, find an identity in soccer. All right? So what does that mean? All right? He's found business people to work together to provide the resources and actually build facilities that kids could come. He's a busy man. That's not only his job. He works creating job fairs for people. And you've heard, job fairs are out there, but his heart is different. He doesn't want to just create opportunities for jobs. He wants to help people understand their worth and their value. So he does seminars within these job fairs that gives dignity and respect and encouragement to people that are very downcast. Pretty amazing what he does. He's actually having uh, one of these come up. If you know anybody that's looking for a job, you can contact me. Uh, it's May 4th, and I told him I'd share that because I believe in what he's doing. May 4th at the Denver Tech's Marriott Tech Center. Anyway, it's free, but they can sign up, uh, and I'll give you that information. The last is this. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you understand the flow here? Do you understand that Jesus said, go bring peace, share a meal and build friendship, meet the needs of people. And the last thing that Jesus said was, proclaim the kingdom. I grew up in a church that was all about proclaiming the kingdom. But it's just getting people's face is what they were saying. And there was a lot of pressure to guilt. Hey, man, people are going to hell. You just need to tell people. You don't need to do all that other stuff. How many know that doesn't work? How many need to know they need to feel and know the love of Jesus before they understand the kingdom of God? Eric has uh, this amazing gift that God has given him. Eric works for a local financial institution. I can't share a lot of it because what he's doing, all right, he's been commissioned by his company to create a leadership training. So what does a Christian believer who believes in the kingdom do? He thinks, huh, what kind of training would Jesus do? And he develops this whole leadership training for this financial institution that 1,200 people have gone through based on the shepherding principles of Jesus. How amazing is that? I could tell you more about his story, but I want to wrap it up. There are so many ways that God wants to use us in where we're at. The scripture tells us, that the, and it's not on your notes, but it's a message version. It's, a trans, it's not a translation, but a paraphrase. It says this in the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. In essence, saying, God, I'm not going to just do my thing. I want to do your thing. I want God to be at work in my work. I want my work to be sacred because it is devoted to the spiritual part of that. I will tell you, there is such a movement going on. When we meet at our business thing, we hear the stories. We talk about how God is doing that. We have other places. If you're my age, 55 and up, we have a thing called Life Plus because a lot of times people are wondering, well, hey, I'm, I'm moving toward retirement or I'm retired. What does that mean? Your work is still sacred. Actually, retired, you get to kind of choose 
where that goes. You get that opportunity to invest. I talked to several this morning after the first service said, hey, I'm retired. Here's what I'm doing. It's amazing. We're going to meet this Friday, have a lot of fun, but the message is the same to people who are retired. Now, I want you to know, everyone has this calling. Everyone. My wife came to me early on with our children and said, hey, I want to be a great pastor's wife, and I, my calling is to raise our children. Not everybody wants to or can do that. That was her calling. Other have different callings. You need to know that. But when you do that, you've got to sell out to what God wants you to do. And when you do, that impact is going to really change in a spiritual dimension what's happening in this world. And we really can see an amazing thing. And I want to challenge you with that. So let me close with this. I'm a pastor. We encourage you to bring people to church. But I want to add to that. I want to encourage you to bring the church to the people. Can you do that? So I'm going to pray. And I felt like the Lord put on my heart two specific prayers today. One, we have a lot of people in very difficult job situations. Agonizing, difficult, troubling situations. We have people that don't have a job. And I want to pray for you. So I want you to just, in respect of one another, just close your eyes. And if you're here and you really need prayer in the job that you're, or needing a job, would you just lift your hand real quick? All right, thank you, so many of you. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. Let me pray for you. Lord, these are the wonderful people of God that want in their work to make a difference. But they might be in a situation, Lord, that is a no-win in any way. And I pray that you will lead them and guide them and show them how to be Jesus in that situation. Or if it's God's will and choice to move them into a different situation. For those that don't have jobs, that really need jobs, that need to provide for themselves or their families or whoever, I pray, Lord, that you will begin to open doors. If it's things like job fairs or people in our church or our business network where we've seen people find jobs through people looking for workers, whatever it is, I pray, God, you lead that. I thank you for that. Again, I want to ask now, how many here would say, you know, Terry, I don't know how to get going on this, but I know that something in my heart has just really clicked today. And I don't want to just do a job and get a paycheck. I really want, at the end of the day, my life matter for what God is doing in this world. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I know that I can bring peace and I can build relationships and I know that I can meet needs and I know that I can proclaim the gospel. But I, I want to get started on that. How many would raise your hand and say, Terry, I want to be a part of God's work in this world. Raise your hand. Thank you. Lord, for everyone here that is fill, filling this call in their heart, I pray, Lord, that tomorrow morning or whenever they start their work week, that they go to their workplace with just this new sensitivity of how God can use them. I pray, Lord, that they experience your presence and your wisdom in how to do these things. And Lord, we pray that our work would bring your glory in your name today. Amen.